This is BizNow Reports, a podcast that examines the biggest questions facing the global real estate industry and the economy at large. I'm Miriam Hall. On this episode, our guest is Hilda Perez Alvarado, the global CEO of JLL Hotels and Hospitality. We sat down by the pool at the National Association of Real Estate Editors Conference last week in Miami. Hilda was appointed to this role in February this year, and she's now the highest-ranking Latina at JLL, leading a team of more than 300 people. She's speaking here about the market outlook, the growing pressure in the hotel industry to meet ESG mandates, as well as the need to provide flexible workspace arrangements for working parents. I started by asking her what parts of the hospitality industry are thriving and which are struggling. I think it's a mix of everything. Hotels that are catering to domestic leisure clientele are doing absolutely fine. In every country? Uh, no, most countries. So I would say in uh, along the Mediterranean, here in the Sun Belt or in the Smile States, those, those cities, those hotel markets are doing fine. In fact, some hotels are doing better now than they did in 2019. Those cities that depend on international travel and are mostly focused on corporate demand they're not doing as well. Okay, so Miami okay, New York not so great. Miami doing great, New York still has a way to go. So from a global capital perspective, where is global capital going? Global capital is going everywhere. It's like water right now, okay? okay? So there are investors who are focused on leisure, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, those markets that are repositioning themselves, that are doing better, like Miami, which has reinvented itself in essence. But then there are investors who are taking a contrarian view and saying cities like New York, cities like San Francisco are not going to go anywhere. And in fact, maybe I should be looking into those cities and investing there now because maybe pricing is a little bit more attractive. But these are forever markets, very liquid, global gateway markets. Maybe it's time to go in there, invest at a pretty attractive basis. I know of one hotel, for example, Citizen Air. They had made big use of uh, business travel pre-pandemic. Now they've decided that uh, they've sort of accepted that business travel is fundamentally changed and they're going after more of like a digital nomad, you know, people who are going to be in the office maybe two days a week and can have like an extended holiday and work remotely the other times. That's one approach. What other approaches are you seeing in terms of hotels reinventing themselves to keep up with this new world that we're in? Uh, Listen, a little bit of everything. I I don't, yes, corporate travel has changed, in particular that corporate travel that is maybe like an internal meeting or not really a client-facing meeting. I think those can be very easily substituted by a Zoom. Now, there are some corporations that are saying it's time for everybody to get together, let's go and travel and, and that will be fine. But in terms of these other hotels trying to attract the digital nomad, or a different type of profile. They're just taking advantage of who's traveling right now, right? It's, it's the, leisure, uh, the leisure traveler. We, at the conference that we had three weeks ago in New York City, NYU, there was a lot of talk about urban leisure. So cities like, for example, New York City, where you have tourists, just as you have corporate travelers, just as you may have group demand. Group demand's not there yet. Corporate travel is still a little bit behind but there are people who are traveling to that city for leisure. And so I would say, yes, maybe these hotels are trying to be position themselves to attract more of this leisure segment. And they're doing that by offering more than just the room. So they want to have a really good food and beverage concept or 
uh, a better, yeah, just, just retail, dining, entertainment type concept, something above and beyond the traditional comfortable hotel room. And is that to capture people that are traveling a little bit more, but, but wanting to have like a meeting as well? Is that, is that what the, the aim is there? Or is it to be competitive? I think it's just to be competitive, honestly, and, and keep up with the times. And of course, you know, there's a lot of hotel rooms. Demand was depressed for a while. And so obviously everybody's competing for that person to stay in their hotel. It was about time, to be honest, that a lot of these hotels think about what else they're offering above and beyond a comfortable room. Why do people want to stay in, in your hotel? Why do you want to be a patron of that hotel, right? Why, why would you want to dine there? And, and a lot of these hotels have discovered that maybe they don't need to rely on the guests who are staying there overnight, but they can rely on the resident or the neighbor who wants to go and eat at the hotel or have a beverage at the hotel or meet with somebody casually at the hotel, hold a business meeting there. Um, or you know what, just take their computer and go and work from the hotel. So hotels are now being redefined finally as living places, not just staying places. Why do you think it's taken a while to get to that point, particularly in somewhere like New York City when there was already so much competition, there were already so many hotels. Why is it that um, they've been a bit behind with that, do you think? Uh, I don't think it's New York City alone. I think it's the industry in general. You know, we're, it's, there's a lot of structure in, in the hotel industry. It's a very old industry, obviously. It has been doing well for a long time, so people are just comfortable, right? We, when Airbnb entered the market, people were very surprised about a newcomer, a giant coming in like Airbnb. Well, guess what? Just like Airbnb, there's new you know, concepts that are marrying living or residential with hotel. Um, you know, there's, uh, we, hotels have always been competing with restaurants or, I don't know, nightclubs or whatever yeah. else where people want to go for entertainment. So maybe it took a pandemic and for the lights to be switched off, for people to start thinking, how are we going to advance the concept of hospitality? It was honestly, in my mind, long overdue. Is there anything that you've seen that has really impressed you? I like what some of the luxury brands are doing with branded residential, that they don't necessarily have a hotel component, but they're standalone branded residences. So for example, Four Seasons mm -hmm. is doing that very well. Mandarin Oriental are doing, is doing that very well. That's exciting to me. Then you get brands that are figuring out that lifestyle or boutique is more than just a pretty contemporary design, right? It's what else are you offering above and beyond the room? And so I think a core in that sense is doing a really nice job uh, through their Ennismore platform and this collection of lifestyle brands, hotels, restaurants that they have that are offering the consumer something that is different. Then I like what newcomers to the space are doing like Sonder, right? Redefining, blurring the lines between living, residential and hotel. I think that's pretty cool. And I was in Europe last week and we were talking a lot about co-living. And I think honestly, that's the next biggest wave uh, that will impact hotels as we know them going forward. So do you think that hotels are going to be repositioned in that way? So I think a lot of hotel companies are going to go in this way because it's what the consumer wants, right? We are, you know, it's funny, I think hotel real estate needs to catch up to the change that we as consumers, the change in consumer behavior that we've experienced over the last 20 months and also the change in investor behavior. So 
if they want to have a sustainable business plan going forward, they will have to evolve. So we know that we're changing the way we travel, etc. How are investors changing? They're paying more closer attention to all other departments above and beyond rooms. They, they're paying attention to ESG. They're, they're paying attention to the relevancy of that hotel product in the city. They're seeing how operators have reacted during the pandemic and how flexible they are longer term. They're just being way more thoughtful. And we have more non-hotel investors in the hotel space that are also bringing another way of thinking into the sector. So it's time for hotels to, I think, wake up and evolve. So who are those people that are coming in that were not investing before? Uh, maybe more institutions, sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, a family office, people that have been in other sectors who are now saying, hmm, this is interesting. Hotel Some hotels are doing very well. Um, hotels are the perfect combination of real estate where you live, work, play. And, you know, there's an inflationary environment going forward. Hotels get to reset their rates daily. This is a good sector. Let's jump right in. Yeah, because there's been sort of a lot of negative talk about hotels. So it's surprising that the institutions are like, hey, this is this is this is really interesting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So you mentioned ESG, and that has been a huge discussion point um, for the development community and the real estate community in the past couple of years, but I definitely think it's been ramping up in the past 18 months to two years. So ESG, obviously, environmental, social, and governance. When it comes to development, it's about you know building sustainably, um, building in a socially responsible way. How is it playing out in the hotel world? So far, it has been about building new, okay? But honestly new hotels, new new buildings, new everything. But I think, you know, I've been hearing a little bit more a thoughtful approach to ESG where investors have realized that actually repurposing or taking a brown building and making it green has a better carbon footprint than starting from scratch. So, yes, and you know, there's many hotels or buildings offices whatever that are extremely well located in city centers that if you are to renovate them retrofit them repurpose them the economic impact obviously of the building goes up but of the neighborhood around it is also goes up so that addresses the s from a g perspective right you're you're improving you're in compliance you're you're building up to the latest you know um standards that maybe governments are imposing or that the consumers want so I would say the next big wave is about repurposing buildings, making them more efficient. And, you know, for example, there's many class B, class C office buildings that are in very good locations in the main gateway cities around the world that could benefit from from being the next wave of hospitality like you and I are talking about. Maybe a co-living meets co-working meets hotel. Where is the pressure coming from, do you think, in terms of those ESG mandates? Everywhere. It's coming from the governments. It's coming from the investors. You know, you've seen how vocal uh, groups like Norges have been in terms of where they want to invest, why they want to invest this way. And the consumer, we're all very conscientious about, you know, who do we buy from? Where do we stay? How are investment dollars being used? What do I support? We're very, very value conscious now. When you talk about ESG, we're talking about environment. A huge part of environment is carbon footprint. So do you think that if companies, for example, are meeting certain ESG mandates, are they going to reduce their corporate travel? Do you think that's going to affect 
certain markets, certain hotels? It may, it may not. Um, there must be some, that must be something that you've thought about. No, it is like, for example, whenever we at JLL book our travel, um, the, the online travel agency that we use will tell us what the carbon footprint was for that trip. So there's a way for the firm to see, oh wow, you're a road warrior, great, but this is your carbon footprint for this year. Can you explain, can you rationalize why you had to travel? So if it is about growth, meeting clients, meeting teams, that I think obviously we'll have to figure out a way to offset that, uh, but that's part of the growth of the company, the growth of the business um, has in theory a positive economic impact, but if it means traveling cross country six hours from coast to coast to have an internal meeting, we can do that over Zoom. It's it's smarter. So that is a that is a, a fundamental change in the way that we operated, say two years ago. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> there must be some sort of impact on travel. For sure, it will. Um, but I don't think. Listen, I I think we if we think that the market is static we would be concerned, but the market isn't static, right? There's more consumers, there's more wealth, there's more new companies being developed, there's more entrepreneurs, there's clients to be seen, there's families that need to get together. So travel, and by the way, there's a growing middle class. Um, you know, the world is, is growing. So there will be enough demand for these hotels to do well. What hotels need to be worried about is not, are the consumer, is the consumer going to come? They will come. But you also have, you know, hotel companies have to evolve to make sure that they are meeting what the consumer wants, right? And it's everything that we just touched upon. ESG, the economic impact of the city, the neighborhood that you operate in, right? Uh, the value proposition that you're giving me. How convenient is it for me to stay there? Is, is it worth it for me to stay there? Because I have many other choices. Substitutes are very easy to come by. It's really interesting that you mentioned JLL tracks your carbon footprint. Is that a new thing? No, actually, I think it's been around for, for a while, but we notice it now more yeah. that we've started traveling uh, than we did before. But yes, they've, they've been tracking that for a while. How's your carbon footprint? Uh, I think, listen, because of the last 20 months, I really haven't traveled so much. Um, Maybe it's actually pretty good, yeah. but I've been on the road quite a bit since May. Yeah. Um, but I have to tell you, my trips have been incredibly productive. I've, I've been able to connect in a meaningful way with, with my team, with clients. And, you know, we're all talking about well-being and wellness of the team. We have to see each other. We have to come back together. We got to get back to our sense, our ethos uh, for existing in business. So I'm feeling pretty good about the reasons for my travel so far. Talk to me a little bit about um, the way that you are working now. So let's go back a bit. I understand that you're the most senior Latina woman at JLL. I am. What do you think about that, first of all? Uh, listen, I think it comes with a tremendous amount of responsibility. So I have to set a good example. I have to make sure that I open the doors and hold the door open for, for those, for anybody who wants to, who aspires to have a senior role in the organization. Uh, women, minorities, etc. I recently interviewed a woman who is the first um, African-American woman um, in the C-suite at Avison Young. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit about her, um, the sense that she had that some people would say, don't lean into the fact that you're the first African-American woman in this position. Just um, allow it to sort of shine on its own. 
and she doesn't agree with that and she wants to celebrate the fact that she's the first African-American woman. Is that something that you've ever struggled with or considered? You know what I did at the beginning, the beginning of my prior role and and it was interesting. I, I don't know why. Uh, I think it was just because I was very focused on making sure that people knew that I had been promoted to senior roles beyond before being CEO because of my merit, because of my results and not because I was a female or a Hispanic, yeah. right? So I think part of the resistance back then was because of that. But I'm almost 41 years old. It's taking me 40 years to feel super comfortable in my skin. I celebrate everything of, of me right now. I'm very proud of who I am, of what I've become. And so I think we cannot be afraid to be who we are. So if I am a very successful, thank God, uh, female Hispanic, I will be celebrating that and hopefully that will that energy will permeate and other females and other minorities will feel like you know what it could be my turn to shine as well. What so, happened a year ago that um, allowed you to feel? I became a mom and that was awesome that was the most humbling and empowering experience ever so it you know I would say there was a lot of vulnerability you don't know everything it's not instinctual to be a mother to be completely fair you know you need it needs a village you need training you need help you need help from other women also it's super empowering my god just the the physical effort of you know carrying a baby for nine months delivering a baby making sure that this little creature who's a hundred percent depending on you is fine and while at the same time keeping up a positive attitude, assuming a new role, dealing through a pandemic, yeah. <laughs> um, that requires a lot of guts so the, the, and, and strength and, and support and unconditional love. So the fact that I've gotten to where I am today because of all that, it's made me again very comfortable in my skin. I love where I am right now. I, I, I think this is a brilliant decade. I've heard from many women, it get, keeps on getting better. Um, because we get more comfortable and there was a panel last week that I did in London uh, for PRE and we said and I said you know we cannot be afraid to be women where we fail is where we try to be men or be something that we're not we are who we are and the world will benefit if we continue to work as a collection as a collective of people so there you go that's my that's my passionate answer uh, to your question. So I know that you moved to Nicaragua for a year. I did, I did because I needed family support. So God bless my, my parents and my family uh, for providing that support and unconditional love uh, at my most vulnerable times. So. I read somewhere that you, if you didn't have that ability, so if, say for example, the pandemic didn't happen and you weren't able to have that flexible work arrangement to go and continue your position and have the family support that you needed, you might have had to quit your job. Instead, you've um, continued and continued very successfully. Uh, yes, if I have to choose, I am like a gypsy. I will always choose my family. But because of the flexibility, right, you were able to go somewhere to get the support that you needed. So how do you look back on that and think, how do we go forward considering that experience? Yeah, no, listen, now that I'm in a, in a leadership position and I have some degree of influence in the organization, I will absolutely continue to push flexible work arrangements because you know what Miriam life happens and we women have way more responsibilities than anyone would ever imagine I mean just think about the many hats and roles that we play uh, mother wife partner 
uh, worker, sister, daughter, you name it. It's so many roles and we all do them all with the utmost grace, right? And we do need a flexible work arrangement and you can have that if you have trust in your employee and you set your employee up for success. So if I want to attract and retain the most brilliant minds in the world, I need to be flexible in terms of how, you know, the work arrangements that I have, people are going to be happier, people are going to be inspired, people are going to give the best of them. And again, life happens. I don't like to, to live for work. I like to work to live. So how many, um, how many days in the week do you like, have you set up like a work arrangement? Is your team in certain number of days or how do you, how do you like juggle it now? I, you know, listen, I'm traveling quite a bit. So I was on the road for a month. With a two-year-old? Uh, yeah, <laughs> with, with her. And so I have an amazing uh, family, amazing husband and uh, a little globetrotter now who's almost two. So in terms of how I'm doing it, I'm, I'm showing up to the, to the various offices. Remember, I run a global team. Yeah. So I'm not, um, I don't belong to any particular office per se. They're all my offices. So I'm on the road visiting the teams, being with the teams, seeing clients. And you know, when I'm home, which Miami is now home as of last year, I will work mostly from home. It's, for me, it's where I can be the most uh, efficient. And so have you, now that you have that global influence within the company, are you sort of evangelizing flexibility? Are people listening? Yeah, we have a little bit of uh, several camps, right? There's people who, who very much want to go back to being full-time in the office. That's what works for them. So that's great. Uh, there's others who are asking for additional work arrangements because they're caregivers, right? Either a parent, a spouse, a child. Um, and there's others who just enjoyed the freedom and flexibility of maybe being able to work from anywhere um, on a Friday or a Monday. So for me, I keep my eye on the price. The price is to have, uh, if you have very happy employees, you have very productive employees, you can provide the best customer service, clients will keep on coming back to you just so you achieve growth. So my job is to make sure that I create the perfect condition and inspire others to give their best. So if that means flexible work arrangement and supporting those who wanna be in the office five or more days a week, then we will do that. Are there companies that are, are thinking that way or do, are you noticing that there's, cause you know, you've got a global team, you've, you've got your finger on the pulse of what's happening around the world. Are there companies that are, are lagging in that thought process? Yeah, many, but you know what it takes to change? It takes a, um, a diverse leadership to change because until I became a mother, I didn't really know what it meant to be a mother, right? A man cannot think of what, you know, like they, they, they have um, a, a set structure in their heads as to how it works. If, if the world were run by women, maybe we would have a set structure of how things work. When we have a diverse leadership, a diverse C-suite, we know what it's like to be a working mother or to be a working woman or to be a working minority, right? So I think I, I am a better leader because I've lived it through my own skin and maybe areas where I can't necessarily personally relate as much, I rely on my team to tell me what works for them. So there are several companies that are lagging because they have a very homogeneous leadership structure that are stuck in ways that have worked in the past for them. But just because it worked for them, it doesn't mean that it works for all, 
right? So that is why, yes, I am not necessarily evangelizing uh, what I'm doing, but so far I think I've had some pretty good results in the team. I am very happy, the team is happy, so, and I see other companies that are being led by women starting to think in this flexible work arrangement, but it, that's not what they're focused on. They're focused on how can we be the most productive, productive companies going forward. You said that you want to keep the door, hold the door open behind you. How on a practical level can that be done within the company, do you think? I'm just going to answer this from a woman's perspective. We women have to help other women. We've been indoctrinated that there's only room for one woman, there's only room for one Queen B, and I completely disagree. My right-hand person at JLL is Kristen Schneider. She's a most, the most amazing COO, greatest partner. She's a woman. A woman. We, we get along great. We, you know, we complement each other's thoughts. I have you know, the rest of my leadership team, which is absolutely brilliant, and it's men, women, etc. We need, women have to help each other. And just because it's, we struggle to get to where we are doesn't mean that everybody else has to, quote, pay their dues. You know, let's help each other. Let's help, the, let's rise the tide so all the ships rise as well. So I will hold the door open so I continue to help other women. And by the way, I want to work with people who are way smarter than I am so I can learn and I can grow. Thank you so much for doing this. It was so awesome to sit down with you in Miami via pool. I really appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> Just wish we had a pina colada in our hands right now. I know, me too. That's Hilda Perez Alvarado. She's the global CEO of JLL Hotels and Hospitality. And she was speaking to me there at the pool in Miami at the National Association of Real Estate Editors Conference last week. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.